Good morning, people of the internet. You are listening to Debbie Radio, 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank, one minute at a time. I'm your co-host, Hugh David. And I'm your other co-host, Dev Sodiger. And on today's show, we're going to be looking at Minute 27. And joining us on today's show, we have Aaron Newworth of Out, Out Now with Aaron and Abe, as well as a writer at We Live Entertainment. Welcome, Aaron. Hello. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> another day, another minute. I still can't get my head, my head around the fact we're doing this format. This format works. People like to follow this format. <laughs> still Aaron, my mind. you missed the most hilarious conversation that Hugh and I had when I first pitched this to him. Um, <laughs> we were talking on the phone, which we never do. We normally communicate like through Facebook chat or whatever. Text. But this um, is serious. Yeah, no, scheduled phone call and everything. Like, super, super authentic. Um, I had just driven actually down to the South Bay to uh, to uh, do some stuff. And I was sat in the car trying to convince Hugh that this was a, a real thing, that this was a format that people would listen to, and that there would actually be content in which to discuss this format. Uh, yeah, yeah, you were right. I was wrong. <laughs> you just, I just with me. Uh, you know, I play a basketball or whatnot. What do you do? Oh, I, I talk about the 1997 George Armitage film, Joe Brooks playing play minute by minute with various guests on a podcast. Oh, is that so? Okay. Exactly. Well, the thing is, I've, I've done various types of podcasts for, oh, God, six, seven years now, on and off, and guested on a whole bunch of others. And it was just one of those things where the format itself didn't, I didn't understand you know how interesting it can be to go this deep into these film experiences and what we have on the screen um and and i love commentary so you would have thought i would have got it but the, it was the realization as to how deep you could go you know on 60 seconds when you don't need to be just trying to talk about it in 60 seconds and i was like oh okay I mean- um Whilst it has yeah. some some comparisons to commentaries, it's still a step change, right? Like instead yes. of spending a minute talking about a minute, you're spending, you know, twenty, thirty minutes talking about a single minute. And that's that's yeah. blowing things up quite a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think there are definitely some films that, that can't weather it, but you know, I'm a sucker for this film. So Well they, well that was the thing that in the end sold me on it was you you know, the fact that this is your favourite film of all time. Yeah, you know, you loved it so much, you wanted to devote the time to a podcast, and I was like, okay, you know, I, I can I can get on board with that. <laughs> so, Aaron, how did you discover the movies by minute format? Um, I think, like most people, I just heard about the Star Wars minute, uh, just that that existed, and it's not that I found it laughable; it was more like, well, that's a choice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and thinking at that time it's like well that, that, that certainly you, you certainly get a lot of episodes out of that that's for sure there's a lot of it's a lot of movie uh, to, to cover um and i never like i never listened to it because it's just more like that exists that's a that's a thing i guess okay cool um then i heard um i heard about the uh the heat one the one that they did heat one, uh, one minute at a time um and for whatever reason that intrigued me more like i love star wars but like i've mm. seen star wars so many times where it's like yeah i get it i mean if i meant cool got it so heat was like and i love heat Heat's one of my favorite movies also but it's that's such an interesting choice to be like 
that would like for whatever reason it registered for me more clearly or more clearly as far as like that would be neat to like really really dig into heat a three hour one three hour movie uh at that you know level of minutia um so that's like where i you know heard of it i've said I've, I've since like i've been on a few of these minute by minute podcasts i've i uh i haven't listened to any one of these like religiously um in the manner of like oh that's starting up let me definitely you know get on episode one from now uh, with the exception of this one, <laughs> I'm like, well, it's gross point blank. I need to hear about this. <laughs> um, oh yeah, that's that's generally it. But, uh, yeah, uh, hearing those early ones and then just going from there. Yeah, I, I, I will try and listen to the Heat one because I am a Michael Mann obsessive since since I was in my early teens. So I'm on yeah. board. I'll be on board with that. I think there's something nice about the self-encapsulated nature of doing this for a standalone film. Um, yes. And like, you know, I, I love Star Wars Minute. I've listened to a good chunk of Star Wars Minute, although admittedly not all of it, because I'm honestly not interested in all of those films. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel like a fairly daunting task to get into that one, right? Like there are so many movies and, yeah. and so many series, and it just feels like it would never end. Even like, and I think they did a fantastic job on it, but the Cornetto Trilogy Minute, um, because they did spaced one episode at a time and then they dived oh, into boy. the movies. <laughs> and it's like, that's that's a lot. I mean, it is kind of self-contained, right? You know, you've got a defined endpoint, but just one of those films that you really, really love, just diving into that one for, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, 100, 200 episodes of 30 minutes a piece is manageable i feel like for me the the couple that i always think of are princess bride minute and and fifth element uh which were both really really excellent takes but they they have that defined lifespan which i think helps for this format because otherwise it just becomes you know intimidating i am i didn't i'm not surprised at this point because this podcast for everything but i didn't know there was a cornetto minute a cornetto trilogy minute podcast but that that makes a lot of sense to me because edgar wright packs the screen with stuff yeah. so it's, yeah, yeah that would that would benefit from a from a minute by minute breakdown yeah. of all things yeah. going on i mean the fun thing if you if you did it yeah doing it minute by minute if i was if i was involved in that the great thing is i could actually then bring in the personal stuff because some of those films are shot here where i live but yeah it is that kind of film like you say he packs the screen i mean space was like that with loads of north london stuff it's such a north london show um, Meanwhile, you know, we are, we're talking about this movie, which yes. is well made, uh, but you really need like a, a nice group of weirdos that want to talk about Gross Point Blank to dig into it on a deep level. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and one of the big surprises for Devin and I when we started researching this is the fact that it's not even set in Gross Point. <laughs> yeah, like it's not shot so in Gross Point. It's yeah. like it's like oh okay, there's all these personalized ideas and elements, and there's like yeah, stock footage, and it's LA after that. <laughs> Uh, but that uh, speaks to the strength of the film. Yeah. Uh, so yesterday we were talking about the song that queues up right at the end of that minute and mm-hmm. is what we open with here. Uh, this is uh, Martin Blank saying goodbye to his mother and then uh, going to visit his, his father's grave before uh, settling into the hotel and uh, driving back into downtown Gross Point or uh, downtown part of L.A., uh, in reality, but um, that song we kind of did a little bit of of diving in, and and this is actually not 
a, a song per se. It's a little something that uh, Joe Strummer put together specifically for for the soundtrack for this movie for this scene. Um, and you know, I think Aaron, you you mentioned yesterday about how much more impactful the scene at his father's grave is was when you were a kid. And I kind of felt the same way. And I think the scoring might be actually quite a big part of that because it it brings forth those emotions, right? It's very poignant. There's no dialogue. It's just him walking up to the grave mm. and, and emptying this bottle of, of Glenfiddich, I think, whiskey mm. over the grave, right? Like, you know, he's gone home. He feels like he needs to go to his father's grave. Um, but at the same time, you get the sense that there's really no deep emotion there particularly no no loss no deep positive one um it's it's a, it's a, it's entirely negative i mean it's what whatever the case is which is something I'm, I'm happy to explore as far as what that relationship was it wasn't it, it wasn't a good one when he left growth point this is not the person he needed to say goodbye to anybody this is the the, the last thing he regretted would have regretted it seems like whether or not he was abusive abusive to him abusive to the mom it's really whatever that you know ambiguity is it's all summed up right like when i watched this for like maybe the second or third time in my life when i was watching with my mom um we saw that scene and she's like that's all we need to hear about him like that was her reaction to that like it, it just it really just narrows it right away to what whatever this was it's not a not a thing for martin he you know it's it, it's a strong it's a strong negative reaction where he, he gets there and he, he rewards his father with with exactly what he loved the most, which apparently was alcohol. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can tell from the dates on the gravestone he he passed away a couple years after Martin left. Uh-huh. Martin's presumably still in the military. Whether he, you know, you could say maybe he was on duty and couldn't return for for the funeral, or more likely, I suspect he just didn't care to. Um, you know, it, it's it's clear because you know we we know. He, he hasn't been back since he he graduated. Yeah, and obviously, it's... whatever drove him away and gave him that moral flexibility and all that, you know, at least one symptom of that had to be whatever relationship he had at home with his father. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Do we think that at one level, potentially in terms of screenwriting, that this is, if not a cop out, at least cliche, and 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 is it? Or is it that this is more meant to reflect the town in question and say, look, everyone thinks this is a pretty suburb. The reality is. I I don't, I think it, it's more of a cop-out, but I think it's done to progress the story in a quick way. We talk about how like a huge part of this film was this challenge of you know, bringing pace to the movie, keeping it at pace, keeping mm. it uh, fairly concise. And I think, honestly, I don't think there's a more concise way that you can express all of the sentiment and emotions that are expressed mm. in this mm. scene, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, and it, even if you think of the 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 act of him walking up and silently emptying a whiskey bottle over the grave before just, like, dropping the bottle as well and walking mm-hmm. off, right? But then you take you layer in that scoring that the, the which was you know clearly a, a very intentional choice given that it was composed specifically for the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it says very clearly like 
this is a thing that shaped Martin Blank that we don't want to spend more than whatever it is, like 15, 20 seconds of screen time on because that's all that's needed and that's all that needs to be said. Um, and, you know, it, it uses very uh, route methods to do it because those methods work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I entirely agree. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's reliant on efficiency to move things along. And I don't, you know, the, the alternative is having excessive dialogue and exposition and whatnot and things mm-hmm. that are leaning more towards explaining who Blank is earlier than the film really wants to. So it's like, what's the point of it? We can get away with showing you exactly how he feels about his father for to drink on his grave and top drop a bottle done like that mm. you know we spend a good you know a minute or two with his mother because he cares about her we don't get that same luxury of the father that says plenty without having to spell it out for you with you know hackneyed dialogue yeah hmm. okay interesting so one of the um elements that is cut given what we were saying um is actually some dialogue from the fourth draft uh, where Martin says, Hey, Pop, you got off easy. The house is a 7 Eleven. Mum's a psychopharmacological punching bag, and I murder for cash. If you were here, I think you'd be proud. And that's it. He doesn't even get out of the car. He just pulls up, says this to the headstone, and drives off. And I actually, it is one of those things where I think the cliche or the, the tradition of, you know, the pouring one out, I think is better <laughs> and more effective yeah. by far. I think that's a, just. I think I think the original intended dialogue is just. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can see why they put that in there. It would certainly make for an easier uh, shoot. You don't have to try and find or uh, uh, or set up a fake headstone and cover it in booze. You know? Even that dialogue is just filler. That's just. Yes. That just feels like stuff. It's like we need a scene where he like visits his dad's grave. What does he say? Yeah, because you've like, just seen the just, mom... him, just just list some things to kind of get a yeah. cry and then get out of the scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, what well, does anyone know where that tradition starts of the the pouring the the, the shot out or pouring the drink on the floor or emptying the bottle? I've I've seen it for so many years and I've never well, actually to, seen to it in be real clear. Life. I mean, you're you're mentioning it in the way where when you when you say like pour one out, there that's a, that's like a respectful way of doing. It. When you yes. say like you pour one yes. out for somebody, it's like yeah, as a tribute. This is very okay. much not that. This this is like I I am I don't I don't know what the proper terminology is for the different right. versions of alcohol alcohol drainage um, <laughs> but, but this is very much a you know a disrespectful version of it compared to you know pour one out for the homies that kind of thing this is more right. of like a yeah. you know like there's there's one thing you liked and i'm giving it to you here it is and that's yeah. it like I, again don't know the term for it where did it start no idea i you know I, yeah the, okay I'm sure it's. I'm sure we could look up the, the the history of this if we really well needed to would find like some you know trace some origin of it, but offhand it, I couldn't tell. Yeah, it it seems to be derivative of uh, libations made to the gods. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, and it's it's just evolved from that. Um, I mean, it's you know I know sarcastically essentially. So. Right. Exactly. You know, and and uh, I think. Um, you know, for me, like it was very much a thing on the Irish side of my family when I was growing up that, that uh, this was yeah. a thing that was done. Yeah, and that's I've that's always yeah. yeah, and that's how and I always read it in this. There, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so apparently it goes back to ancient Egypt. 
earliest document cases of it are using water instead of alcohol, which is symbolic because obviously it's a very precious, very important life-giving liquid. Uh, however, uh, and that was to the deities, however, when pouring out liquids to honor the dead, these would often include things like milk, honey, wine, and other possible alcohol. The idea was to pour a little of it out for, just for the tribute and then drink the rest yourself. Uh, and then this is because we, this is apparently there's an entire papyrus dedicated to these summarizing this stuff from 1250 BC, which is how we know this. Uh, and then it carries on from there into ancient Greece, ancient Rome. So this is a very ancient one. We know it had, um, but it also is global. Ancient China had various versions of this. Various groups in South America had versions of this. Apparently, this is a standard across most African cultures, which is fascinating. The idea that this is something that we've all done in one form or another for centuries you know i did not expect to see some you know, just sort of realize it was that deep that it had that significance and suddenly that lifts the scene for me in the sense of having described it as a cliche earlier now i'm thinking well okay but it's actually as you say they take it and do their own twist on it it's not it's not respectful it's in the way he does it he deliberately upends it as you said earlier Aaron. yeah because oh, it's the you could argue it's the most <laughs> It's the it, it, it's arguably the, the darkest moment of the film. Uh, mm. you, you, like you can you can look at like maybe when he murdered when he you know when he kills Lapubo with the pen because the film stops dead from being anything humorous. But I mean, there's still like the the the, the sexiness of it as far as like a hitman mm. is doing a job during a reunion. But even then, like it's still like the music fades and it's just him stabbing a guy in the neck. You could match maybe that scene up with this, but this is a moment where the facade is gone on Martin. Uh, he's not trying to like play anything, play any angle here. He's just visiting his father, who he clearly did not have a good relationship with, and you know, pouring alcohol over, you know, de essentially desecrating his grave. I mean, like that's yes. that's what yes. the scene yes. is. So it's like yeah. there's there's no fun and your end that's following up the. I didn't realize my mom is like having a mental breakdown, and mm -hmm. you know, this is why my house is gone. Like it, it mm -hmm. it's a pretty dark segment right here in the movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we when we talked with the previous guest about uh, his his time with Doctor Oatman, you know, I was mentioning the fact that Oatman seems to be more of a Jungian than a Freudian because there's focus on the dreams, but here it's definitely, you know, this is a much more traditionally Freudian kind of take on things. You know, um, you know, the, clearly here are the ingredients, Martin, for who you are. <laughs> cool. Um, okay. So towards the end of this minute, we get to. The hotel. Uh, I'd never actually recognized until watching this minute by minute that you do get an outside shot of the hotel, oh, okay. um, which I yeah, can't one, recognize. Yeah. Haven't looked up. I don't know if you looked this up, Aaron. Uh, I, I haven't. It just seems you know, I'm sure they found some place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got a shot. More, more like... stock footage or, yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing that always fascinated me as a kid was him putting everything in, inside the wall vent. I always mm -hmm. thought that that was like one of those little things that just really sold it as like, this is a guy who's, who's experienced at doing this kind of thing. It's just like, you know, he has the electric drill with him. He just pulls aside the dresser, unscrews mm -hmm. the vent. Everything goes in the vent, seals back up. He's good. It's, I wouldn't call this like a process movie necessarily in the same way that like, I don't know, Ridley Scott does, where like you just see all of the pieces and everything, and you, you yeah. there's extra time spent to show you the mechanics of how people do their stuff. Mm. Uh, but this is like, it's a neat little bit of business as far. And you, I mean, you get a little bit of that in like 
some like the 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 um the Miami hit things like that where you just like you see the work that he's doing uh, to get yes. stuff done and that's a little right. bit here but I do right. like that it's a thing where now I know this now I know hotel vents great way to stash your supply of things <laughs> and then I think to like no country for old men where that's yes. a big part of Josh Brolin where he takes he gets two different rooms that are across from each other specifically so he has the vent access which comes in handy later on when he's dealing with like Shigur coming after him and stuff like that yeah. it's 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 saying like I don't necessarily think like the Coen brothers thought, you know what, in that George Armitage 1997 classic <laughs> Gross Point Blank, that was a good way to store some, or like Cormac McCarthy wrote No Country Thinking About Gross yeah, Point Blank yeah. in the hotel, the vent right. usage. And I'm sure in movies, there's probably other vent usage before in that specific kind of way as like a place to stash stuff. But yeah. it's just like, I, I like that, you know, we were just talking about the universality of pouring drinks out. Now we're just thinking of, you know, hitmen or people of a certain kind of profession using hotel vents as storage because of paranoia and yeah. you know you know yeah. needing like uh, you know a safe room of some kind or whatnot for their material yeah yeah and it's, it's gone oh i was gonna say it's an interesting play on Chekhov's gun as well right like yes. normally if you were to see this in a movie you'd think ah oh, well at some point his hotel room is going to get ransacked by like yes the the feds or by uh felix Yep. And the fact that he's hidden it away is going to pay off in some manner yeah. uh, or or it's going to be found out and he's going to go back to try and find it and it's not there and that's going to play out somehow. Yeah. And instead, the only purpose of this is to once again reinforce that he's he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is a, I mean, it is, it, yeah, going back, not just in movies, but I mean, it's a staple of of of. of classic crime fiction i mean you know going back to the 60s probably do i remember any of it in the 30s and hat dash hammett i probably I get, like it's a lot. maybe like it's, it's you, you know, know but... because I, because it's all about the fact that they won't pay to stay in a hotel that would have a safe yeah. <laughs> and you can't trust the safe behind the reception desk right mm -hmm. you know it's that sense of well what is the next best thing well take the screwdriver to the wall um you know, uh, so yeah, it is very much an again, as you guys say, it's an interesting tradition that that now tells us something again about Martin and his professionalism. Yeah. And it it, is it, show, it shows the industriousness and like why he's an expert, why he's yes. why he's you know why he's comfortable being on his own, working for himself, doing and like why Grocer, you know, hates and admires him. Like it's all yeah. there because yeah. this guy is doing exactly you know he's right. he's doing he's doing the work that re that's required to be this specific kind of guy be this good at the job yeah right he's not just prying up floorboards or taping it to the underside of a drawer you know the yeah. things that you, you, you are just stayed at this point he's not something sloppy. that's a little yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah that's a good word to describe grocer sloppy <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when when he was, I can't remember which guest said it, but that he's the wet work guy. Like it's, yeah, that's so on point for for grocers. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I like is Martin's choice of bedtime reading. Yeah, I, you know, like you know, yeah, he's the kind of guy that's what he would read. He's not going to read fiction, or it's not going to be like in Pulp Fiction where he's reading where Travolta's reading Modesty Blaze. You know, it's going to be it's not going to be a reference. It's just gonna, it's going to be a character point, and it's yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I, I was reading the the cover. I wrote it down. It was like, it's made the the, the big headlines making sense of creation. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then the and the the what I like is that the subtitle of it is actually interesting because it feels very specific. Where it says the story of a mediocre genesis. And that, <laughs> I, I, I 
I feel like, is that like a comment on the town of like the people he's dealing with or even himself? Like, what, what are we referencing here? Like, is, is the idea it's like, this just like this whatever kind of average guy or, or is yeah. the town, like coming back to the town? Is that what all the people are? It's just kind of like this, 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 you know, whatever place that he's in now. Yeah. Something I like about, I mean, I don't know if that, what other episode we could explore this in, but something, especially because we're not going to talk about the reunion at all, but something I always like about this movie that I've thought about over the years is as much as Martin is, you know, a murderer, he's also like the most successful person at the reunion. He's the guy that left the actual town. He's the guy that went out there and did something with his life. I mean, everybody else is, at least that we meet that is important in some way, stayed and, you know, maybe yeah. like had a family or has a job or something, but Martin's the guy that's like, I got out there. <laughs> I left this yeah. place. <laughs> yeah. And, and also uh, another telling thing is the ones that the other ones that were moderately successful were his friends in high school. Right. Sure. The, the IT guy, uh, whose name I always, always forget. You've got, um, Kevin, the, the lawyer who I think probably didn't have a whole lot of friends, but was somewhat friendly with Martin uh, and of course, Paul, who's now in, in real estate, which is, you know, lucrative business. And all of these guys were the outcasts in high school. And I think that that is a, a conscious choice, right? Like this is clearly written by guys who felt that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because as we've as I'm uh, nodding, I should say yes out loud. I'm sorry, it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a little I bonus mean, feature for the YouTube watchers there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, as we've noted in previous episodes, you know, this, the the script we discovered that the original script, while it was written by a native uh, of Michigan, the rewrites are by uh, Cusack himself and two of his friends that he grew up with, who are producers on the film as well. And so, yes, I, I mean, I think that very much goes to the heart of what you guys are saying and how it kind of uh, confirms what they want to get across here about because they're the ones who made it out to Hollywood, you know. And even casting-wise, it's a lot of people that are, like, Piven and him grew up together. Like, there are a lot of friends yeah. and there's a lot of improvising in the movie. You know, there's written stuff, but obviously there's a lot of, like, playing between all of them, so. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Oh, and then we get our feds. The comedy feds are back. Yeah. Just one brief glimpse of them at the uh, the end of the minute. Mm. Yeah. You can see all the junk on the... Uh... Yeah, just at the end of the minute. Well, I'll save it for the next one. Mm. All right. All right. Well, this was Minute 27 of the Gross Point Blank podcast, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, featuring your hosts, co-writers, and co-producers, myself, Dev Sodiger, and my buddy here, Hugh David. Today's guest was Aaron Neuwirth of Out Now with Aaron and Abe and writer at We Live Entertainment. Aaron, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you online? Uh, for sure, you just mentioned the podcast I co-host with my friend Abe, Out and Out There and Abe. We talk about weekly movie releases and have tons of bonus episodes and fun commentaries every month and everything like that. That's everywhere you can find podcasts. I write for We Live Entertainment, for movie reviews, Why the Blue, for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews. And I'm on Twitter at PS 4 And my personal blog, the code is Zeke.com. Everything I do ends up over there. Fantastic. You reminded me I need to sort out the same thing with my blog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can find us wherever you found us now, as well as on all good podcast players, YouTube, X, whatever else it is by the time you hear this, and Spotify. Handle it, all of those is at Debbie Radio, D E B I Radio. And if, as our website as well, you can go to DebbieRadio.com. Once again, D E B I Radio. 
And if you want to chat with us, uh, you can find us on our Facebook listeners group, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl smoking for the first time. It wasn't a moment. It was a feeling.